This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. This is a Radio Labour World Report recorded on Friday, March 26, 2021. I'm Mark Belanger. In a report this week, 350 unionists at the UN Status of Women Conference. The dangers of privatizing water supply systems. The Labour Start report about union events and singing... This is Radio Labour. More than 350 unionists have been attending the United Nations online conference on the status of women. It is the 65th meeting of the UN's Commission on the Status of Women, known by its acronym CSW. The unionists' approach to the issues raised at the conference has been coordinated by the Global Unions and the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITUC is the body which represents national union centers such as the Ghana Trades Union Congress at the world level. I talked to Marika Koning about CSW 65. Ms. Koning is a policy advisor in the ITUC's Equality Department. I asked her to describe some of the major issues that the unionists attending the online conference have been most concerned about. Our key concerns are actually concentrated on the following areas. The global picture for women's labor force participation remained already stalled. Uh, for instance, women's labor force participation is at 30%. Women are overrepresented in informal precarious and vulnerable employment. There's a gender pay gap of 20%, a gender gap in social protection. And actually, the COVID-19 pandemic further exposed and deepened these inequalities. For instance, we've seen an increase in domestic violence and in gender-based violence in the world of work, including across frontline workers and essential workers. We're seeing disproportionate job loss for women. And we, of course, saw that while the health and care sector workforce existing of 70% of women were actually uh, with a very little protection and low remuneration, are very essential in keeping our societies going. So these, all these issues were concentrated in a number of asks around a new social contract, which means gender responsive to the COVID-19 pandemic and other forms of crisis. We want to see jobs, we want to see equal participation for women through investments in quality public care services and creation of millions of decent care jobs. We want to see labor rights for women, so a guarantee of labor protection floor, fundamental rights and minimum living wages. We want to see universal social protection. We want an end to exploitation and discrimination and inequality. And of course, we want to see the wide ratification of ILO Convention 190 on violence and harassment in the world of work. You can find more information about the conference on the status of women on the ITUC website at ituc-csi.org. March 22nd is World Water Day, a day set aside by the United Nations to remind people about the importance of safe, affordable water supply. Only about 3% of the Earth's water is fresh water. Less than 0.5% of that is accessible for consumption as drinking water. 
All of which means that the world will have to responsibly manage its water supply. One problem in doing this is the privatization of water supply systems. I talked to David Boys about this. Mr. Boys is the Deputy General Secretary of Public Services International. The PSI is the body which represents national public service unions at the world level. I asked Mr. Boys what is wrong with the privatization of water. Well, a number of things are wrong. First of all, let's be clear when we're talking about privatizing water supply, what we're talking about is a contract for a private corporation to manage the infrastructure. So you're not actually privatizing the water itself. Typically what happens is the privateers come in after the infrastructure has been built and then they figure out how to manage it in order to maximize their profits. Problems are when you're trying to maximize your profits, you're cutting every input you can. And for water supply, which is basically drinking water and and household water, there's only three inputs. One is the cost of the energy to power the pumps that moves the water from where the reservoir is to where it's going to be used. Second input is the chemicals that are used to purify the water. And then the third input is the labor, the workforce that actually does all this. And so it's fairly clear that the first two can't be cut. Got to pump it. You've got no choice unless you have other options, but uh, typically you don't. You've got to treat it. Yes, there are some ways of using less chlorine, but typically uh, they're not very easy or inexpensive. So what do you do is you outsource your workforce, you drive down wages and working conditions, you make everybody a temporary worker, and there's your profits. And that's why the trade unions are really upset about this, because it's directly violating our rights to decent employment. The other problem is once a company gets a hold of a water distribution system in a city, the problem is then it becomes a monopoly provider of something that you use every day, that you can't substitute, and which you can't replace. So those dynamics also, which concern more the community, the families, the households that use it, those dynamics can be quite negative. And what you mainly see is significant increase in the cost of water to households. And for those people who can't afford to pay, then they get cut off. And so you've actually got places where they, they cut off households. So again, the range of problems between the marketplace for profit model versus the right to water and the public service universal access model are pretty stark. I can say that in general, the privatization model is failing, has failed, has been rejected. So what can labor unions and their supporters do to help stop the privatization of water supply? What message we're trying to get around the world is, look, have you examined in whichever country you're in, what is your government saying at the executive board of the World Bank or of the International Monetary Fund? Have you asked your government to be clear on whether they support privatization? We need citizens of Germany, we need citizens of Canada, USA, all around the world to ask their government not only what they're doing at home, but what they're doing 
overseas. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labor Start's volunteers collect hundreds of news items about the struggles of workers and their unions from around the world in 36 languages. Here's a small sample of their work. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the planned national demonstration against regressive labor law reform in India, the last days of the organizing campaign at a huge Amazon facility in the United States, and this week's strike by 40,000 Amazon workers in Italy. Amazon is not the only platform employer making the news these days. Around the world, unions have been galvanized by a recent UK court decision that clarified the employee status of so-called gig workers. A quick count shows that there are active campaigns to organize these precariously employed workers in over 20 countries. As we might have expected, the platforms are fighting back. In some countries, their reaction to union successes in the courts and in workplaces has been to threaten to close their operations. But for the most part, the corporations have reacted by going on the offensive. In the United States, for example, after spending huge amounts of money to win a referendum that rubber-stamped the substandard treatment accorded gig workers in California, the platforms have moved to ensure that the California law spreads across that country. And together, these corporations are pressuring governments around the world to create a special category of employee that protects not the workers, but the corporation's profits. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news about New Zealand's groundbreaking new miscarriage leave law, the labor movement's response to Turkey's withdrawal from the European Convention on the Prevention of Violence Against Women, and several stories on the leading role being played by women workers in the fight against the dictatorship in Myanmar. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories about a safety strike by cleaners in the United States after 26 of their co-workers died of COVID-19. The horrendous conditions aboard a Qatari-owned ship impounded in Australia and the fight by military medical workers in South Africa to get access to vaccines. Our photo of the week is of workers protesting at a garment factory in Thailand. Their employer has shut down without paying them their legal entitlements and has disappeared. This pattern is one that has been repeated endlessly around the world as employers use the confusion created by the pandemic to shut factories and offices and reopen them elsewhere under a different name while pocketing money owed to workers. Current campaigns that we are running at the request of unions around the world include an urgent appeal for online solidarity, with trade unionists in Pakistan, Israel, Europe, Kazakhstan, Jordan, Ukraine, India, and Albania. Look for details of these campaigns on our website. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Union Nation with She's a Rebel Girl.
international labor news you can use. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.